Hey people, it's your girl Diamond Blaze. Thank you so much for joining me on the first episode of the year. Kicking off 2023 with a very strong, diligent black man. His name is Colt Wayne. He's going to talk to us about his disorder of trigeminal neuralgia as he also battles Crohn's disease. And we also talk about the importance as black people and people of color to advocate for yourself when it comes down to your health. We know our bodies better than anyone. So please stay tuned, enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and follow. Stay blessed and breezy. Hello there. There she is. How are you? I'm good. Good, good. What was that? What did you say? I said good, good, good. <laughs> well, all right. Here we go. All right. So just to let you know, you are the first guest I'm going to have for this year. Nice. I'm starting the year out with you. Yes. And do a quick intro. So to the audience, welcome to another season of Diamonds Blaze with yours truly. And I will let my guest introduce himself all right well my name is cook wayne uh that, that is my public name i do have another name that i go by sakani uh cook wayne i am a human rights activist uh musician uh i do a little dabble with you know playing around on movies and some tv shows but most importantly i'm a father my one-year-old son, four-year-old daughter. I also got a 30-year-old daughter and some three grandsons, but uh, that's a whole nother household. Uh, I think in particular, what uh, Shayla had me come on here today, because we were talking about uh, particular ailments um, that I suffer from, one being trigeminal neuralgia, and the other one being Crohn's disease. And I'm gonna answer any questions that she may have to help spread awareness. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. So now, is there like an abbreviated way that you could say, because some people like myself, even though I um I love to write, you know, and dabble with words. There's sometimes when we cannot enunciate or pronounce something. So, do you ever call it like you just use abbreviations like TN? There is a, there is an abbreviation that is used. It's called TN. So I guess a lot of people are like we 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 got saying that you can so we gonna break it down. So yeah, they do abbreviate it to TN. So you can refer to it as but trigeminal uh, the trigeminal nerve you have two in your head so it wouldn't be a bad idea if you learn how to say trigeminal because you have those in your head they're important uh, but for this uh, show we'll, we'll say TN okay that, that helps out a lot thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> so 
if you can, can you tell me when you were diagnosed with it? Around 2017. And when it, when it began, I, I remember I was out with some friends. And we went out to dinner. I forget where we were, but this particular restaurant was famous for their um, milkshakes. So everybody had their milkshake, and I got mine. You know, uh, created one, one of the best ones I could come up with. And as I was eating it, just noticing that my teeth and my jaws were just—you know how you get that cold sensation. Mm-hmm. You eat something, yeah. But this one didn't go away. So if you can imagine that cold, that cold pain that you have, put some cold in your mouth, but it doesn't subside and it doesn't go away. Wow. And so I was thinking, like, wow, like, why is it taking so long for this? <laughs> you know. And of course, I finished eating that, the the milkshake because I didn't, you know, know that there was a correlation to just what triggers the pain. Um, that night and the next day and the next night and for about a week that pain was still there but only it was getting worse mm. didn't know what was going on I thought it was my teeth I thought it was my jaw but when it started moving up behind my eye behind my ear the left side of my head because the trigeminal neurons are left side was going over to my left side I figured like okay there's something else going on then one morning I woke up and my whole face was swollen on the left side. In my mouth, I couldn't talk properly. My neck, everything on the left side. So that's when I started Google as much as I can. I knew I had to go to the hospital. And based upon what I was dealing with and what I researched and saw, what other people were dealing with, and the pain, I, I, I found out something that was called trigeminal neuralgia. And because how the people were describing it, it was a pain that you don't want to open your eyes, you can't, that's too painful. You can't move your body, that's too painful. You don't want to wake up because it's too painful. And that's when I found out it's called the suicide disease. Wow. So 20, yes. 20% of the people who suffer from it can't take it. Wow. And I went to the doctor. They agreed with uh, what I came up with based upon what I and, and they did an MRI. Came up with the diagnosis. Sent me to a neurologist, gave me medication. And the medication that they use to help, because it's neurological, no opiates work. So it has to be neurological uh, medicine. So I take two epilepsy medicines. I don't have epilepsy, but the only thing that can help me not want to jump out of it, you know. The only thing that can help you function is the gabapentin and the oxcarbenzapine. And that's what I've been doing three times a day since 2017. Wow. That's a lot. That is a lot. So, has that affected you, like, with, with your daily living? You know, like, your your 
your day to day has it ever hindered you from doing you know your your normal day to days whether it's with your your kids or um you know with with the activism that you're doing and you know anything has it ever stopped you yes yes most definitely particularly because even though now once you get the medication it takes like two weeks before it even begins to work so you're happy that you get the medication and you're not but then you still got to suffer for another two weeks before it even and the medication is where a lot of people who take themselves out they can't deal with the pain and plus the medication side effects so the side effects are like loopiness uh chronic fatigue forgetfulness uh chronic leg shaking syndrome all these horrible side effects that you got to deal with wake up in the morning with complete nausea because of the, the medication and you can't take medication on empty stomachs so you got to figure out a way to get rid of the nausea so you can eat so you can take the medication hold on sir I'm getting some some more so yeah I would say it hinders a lot So do you know if it's um, if it's considered hereditary? No, it's not hereditary. Um, I think they say like it may have it may be possible for your kids. <laughs> it's okay. Here, um you know, maybe, maybe, you know, more susceptible to getting it because, uh, and I could be wrong with this, but it's, it's, it's usually just, it's caused from head trauma and childhood trauma, which was a unique thing for me to hear, like, your childhood trauma could contribute to the neurological aspect of your, your, uh, nerve in your head, but because I had both, childhood trauma and head trauma and I didn't remember and I didn't know that when I had the head trauma and they didn't tell me until they did their arm like oh your head healed up good I mean we talking about they said well you cracked your skull so I remember the incident but I didn't know my skull was cracked hmm. but because of that I'm a huge candidate to get in charge gym and around you wow that that's that's something so what is the the worst episode besides the onset of your symptoms what has been your worst episode or flare-up that you've had and the worst ones stop these are scissors you're gonna hear me dealing with this one-year-old boy with you guys it's so okay bear with bear with <laughs> it's all right so the worst were really particularly before I was able to get the medication and I didn't really know what was going on. So you kind of like suffered through the pain and you suffered through like, oh my God, what the hell? Like, am I, <laughs> is it aneurysm? Is this, so, um, but to be honest, it was two days ago that 
I had a migraine, which I hadn't had in years. On the left side, coupled with, well, the migraine triggered the trigeminal neuralgia pain. So, actually, two days ago, which hadn't happened in two or three years, I was in the bathroom, sitting in a chair in the bathtub with my feet in the water, and me holding onto the wall to keep from crying too loud. Mm. Wow. Because it's, it's, it's called the worst pain known to medicine. Jeez Louise. So, besides your medication, because I know now, um, you know, mar- medical marijuana tends to help a lot of people. <laughs> have, do, have you ever used medical marijuana or even if it's street to kind of help with some of the, um, some of your symptoms? So, because of the nausea from the medication, mm-hmm. because I also have Crohn's disease, so I take other medication with that, so there's a lot of medication going on in my body. So because of the extreme nausea, no doubt, I'm a heavy <laughs> <DHS>. <laughs> Medical marijuana is just my friend. I would not be able to get rid of the nausea so I can even a banana and some bread so I can take the medication. Wow. And 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 just the symptoms of this all the everything. Without the medical marijuana, I don't know how I would be doing it. Now as an advocate, because what I what I what I want to do is, is just be an example and an advocate for people with charging neuralgia to maintain and not get to the point where they want to kill yourself and not get to the point where they're just suffering horribly. And everybody's looking for an answer. And everybody's looking for a way to, to, to just bear with it. And I got to figure out a way to put out there that I don't know what you're doing or what job you have. If you're suffering from trigeminal neuralgia, you need, absolutely need to use medical marijuana. It's the only way yeah. you're going to bear with it. Wow. And to have that on top of Crohn's. Now, there there has been a lot of different um, definitions or terminology for people to understand Crohn's. Can How long have you had Crohn's or what do you remember your first onset of, of that disorder? Yeah, I got diagnosed with both of these around the same time. Oh, wow. And usually people with trigeminal neuralgia for some reason, they have a second ailment, whether it be lupus or Crohn's or something major like that. And mine happened to be the Crohn's. Now, is Crohn's, is that, is that, a, and I have to, you know, ask these questions for some of the listeners who may not, you know, be fully educated on it. Is Crohn's more like a gastrointestinal disorder or is it? Yeah. Um, That's exactly what it is. Um, and it can, it can affect the area from your esophagus all the way down to your colon. Um, my particular uh, area is my small intestine. So I'm having issues with my small intestines. That's where my colon is affecting me. And right now, there's something called a, 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 a fissure. I think, uh, I know I'm saying it wrong. But what happened is, 
is there something blocking that little small intestine area that goes in the colon? So what has happened is, is my, another piece of my small intestine has figured out a way to make its own bridge to the colon because the other area is blocked. But that's not good. And that's supposed to be trying to create different ways to function. So pretty soon here, I'm doing another MRI. Uh, so this is a CAT scan. Another CAT scan next week. And if they see that uh, it has connected itself to do something different, then they're going to have to go in surgery. Jeez. That's, that's, that's pretty major. So that's just weird to even think about, you know, or to just put in your head how how our bodies try to adjust, you know, or or like when when we're having ailments or whatever. It's it's just amazing how our bodies try to adjust to certain things to try to correct itself, but while it's trying to correct itself, it's actually hurting. <laughs> so the human body is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So are you taking medications for your Crohn's uh, as well, right? Yes, I do. I do a Humira injection twice a month. Okay. Wow. And that's that's one that you have to inject in your stomach? My stomach or my leg. So with with all of this that's going on, especially in the climate that we're in, um, where politics kind of get in the middle of our healthcare, what is your average cost for medication? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, Chimera costs five thousand. A box for two. What? Twice a month. So that's ten thousand a month for the hemera. What? Are you? Oh my goodness. It's ridiculous. And obviously, I need you know help with that insurance and everything. Right. They don't care. Yeah, it costs that much for the hemera, and they know that you need it. That's why they like. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and charge y'all this because. If you have to be prescribed Humira, you need it. Oh my gosh, are you are you able to get it covered through? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And some days, some months, they send me a letter saying, uh, "Next month we may not," but it's still been going good so far. So oh I think it just picked, you know the more severe it is because I'm labeled as severe Crohn's. Mm. So the more. Se- it is the more they figure they gotta help yeah oh my gosh that's terrible so how many medications do you take per day per day just I take the two different ones three times a day um Crohn's twice a month and I would be taking a different set to go along with the Humira but I'm I so don't like just taking a whole bunch of medication. I talked to my doctor and said, hey, I'm, 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 I'm all right. I don't feel too bad. I haven't been taking the acetylopine for a while. He was like, well, if you're, you're feeling all right, then you're not taking it. 
know, everybody, the surgeon and the doctor are kind of waiting on me. They want to do the surgery. <laughs> and I've been kind of like telling them, and I got a one year old. Time to be in the hospital for three days. And I can't even come back and be laid up for any kind of time. But I know that at the end of the day, I'm going to have to do this because in the long run, I need to be there. Right. So you're you're like a 100% full-on, hands-on-deck, full-time father, right? Yes, just, just me and I. Wow, and he's, wow, you're amazing. So hats off to you for that because I know it's, it's not easy. I know it's not easy just from, you know, having two illnesses, having to take medication daily, having some severe episodes and a very active one-year-old i know that is not easy so i definitely give you i give you like two dozen two dozen roses <laughs> i give you all the flowers on that one you get that well, well, well give me another dozen because i got enough <laughs> <laughs> okay i, I give you three dozen house, i gotta maintain the household where his sister lives his sister and his mom uh-huh. so she's disabled you know, we're not together, but she's disabled, so I can't. So I got this house I'm gonna take care of, and that one. I gotta facilitate everything for me and facilitate everything for them. And that's why I feel like it's, I don't have time right now to be laid up. But mm-hmm. as I said before, it ain't gonna help us in the long run if I wait too late. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, that's like the other thing too, you know, we as, as black people anyway, we have, we have to keep pushing and constantly pushing. I mean, the odds with us, with a lot of things are exponentially higher, you know, which we all know that than, than the other counterparts. So for, for you to, to maintain and to manage and to keep pushing through and that that's that's amazing so i know that the almighty definitely have a purpose for you um and i think about because i think about the the people that i come in contact with um in my line of work outside of doing a podcast and the amount of i want to say entitlement and just just the, the the people that I that I normally come encounter in count and having encounters with. Sorry if I got a little tongue tied. I felt like I was going to sneeze. <laughs> um, I'll hear people complain like they they can't get up and go to work because you know I you know I have a bad headache or back pain or and and I can kind of see you know what the level of certain things are and I'm kind of like. Uh, I know people in worse situations than than yourself or you have you know a bunch of younger people now you know and i know times constantly change but so many younger people now take advantage of their youth and their health and their abilities to keep moving and going forward it's almost like they don't even recognize or empathize with people such as yourself or other individuals who have like severe ailments going on but you still get up and you do do your day-to-day 
because you have to. Okay, choice. Right. So that's why I said I definitely have to give you, you know, your flowers on that. Um, that's that's amazing. I have to pretend all day here because what I have with both of them, both elements are twenty four seven pain. I have to convince myself all day that this is not happening. I don't really feel this. I don't really feel this bad. Oh, this surge of pain that's coming. It's something else. Okay, I'm society, let me take a breath and rest. Okay, I'll watch this. Okay, I can change the diaper on my son. I won't think about the pain for that two minutes it takes. It's a battle and it's exhausting. And outside of the pain, that's what I hear a lot of people suffer from trigeminal neuralgia that they can't deal with. It's just the mental aspect. It's a mental toll on them. Because it's a progressive disease. So everybody has to look forward to it getting worse. Getting worse. And you have, there's a surgery that you get once it gets to that point to where they cut open the back of your head, take a piece of your skull out so they can move the blood vessel that's touching your nerve, causing the neuralgia. Jeez. And they don't put the piece of skull back. They put it just a titanium plate. Just so if it moves again, they can go back in there and open it up easily. So the, the mental aspect for some people to not want to look forward to that part takes a toll. Wow. And I'm just trying to figure out a way to be an example the best because I'm not there yet it's only been 2017 it hasn't been long enough it hasn't been 15 years for me and I don't know you know I can't speak for the ones who are just at that point to where you know but I'm trying as I'm going I'm trying to figure out how we can survive it and maintain and that's what I you know and right now I feel like I'm doing, you know, just based upon everything I'm suffering from, every, all the doctors, everybody I'm talking to, everybody's like, damn, you're, how are you doing here? Like, I don't understand. Like, other people would be, and it just may be based upon, you know what, I don't know where it comes from, but with the ability to, to be the one that everybody is like, how are you doing it? I want to continue to just be, uh, keep everybody confused as I figure out how we uh, can not kill ourselves and not suffer as much. Yeah. It may be too much audacity to feel like or to say like I'm be the one to do it. But if you go online now, look up try gymno neuralgia people and look at how everyone is suffering there's no way you would ever sign up or there's no way you can imagine how the people do it I just want to figure out how we can wow yeah and it's definitely just from you know you sharing your experiences and everything like that um, and the the symptoms and, and how it happens it's definitely a mind over matter you know definitely a mind over matter and you have to have mental strength mental and emotional strength to keep going and I know um, 
I know that there was um, there was one thing that I was going to ask you about it and I can't remember it. I don't know where my note is. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to bypass that one. So has it affected, have, have these two ailments, have they affected your personal life? Yeah. Um, when I first was diagnosed with the ailment, I was just like getting used to like the pain and medicine was finally kicking in and it was starting to subside and I could function a little bit better. And I'm still kind of like doing the research and like seeing like what was coming. So there was a particular lady uh, who I had known actually since high school. We were kind of reconnected. And we started, we were talking, and I made the mistake. Oh, I wouldn't even call it a mistake. I, uh, it was better for me. I ended up showing her a clip of somebody who suffered from it. And from her seeing that, that night she made a decision like, I can't deal with that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I hadn't seen her since. I'm glad she was honest about like what she can and cannot deal with. But yeah somebody important to me felt like oh hell no I'm not (laughs) too much yeah well yeah it's like you said you know at least she was honest about it which you know instead of going through the motions and you know if you ever hit that moment you know like the, the flare up that you had and she's like yo yeah I thought I could do this I can't do it and then it was just like a whole ghosting you know just like I'm, I'm just going to disappear so it's that uh, you know it's disappointing but at least she was honest with you yeah immediately up front <laughs> up front um, so then I was kind of like maybe walked on the eggshells a bit on telling people or talking about it because I didn't want to scare people off initially. And then I got a frame mind and like, no, I got to immediately tell everybody what's going on with me so they can make their decision immediately. Whether they're going to yeah. get somebody up support. That's how you can't handle it. And with a couple of people after that that seemed like they couldn't handle it, I just made the decision that I'm not, let me concentrate on like, right now I can't rely on the person <laughs> to be to be there with any mental help or or, or anything so I haven't I just my focus is just like other things to somebody who's strong enough obviously mentally stronger than me who can deal with you know and I know there's people out there empathize or I don't even know what it's called who have the strength just deal with people you know like whatever my strength was where I dealt with my kid's mother dealing with her being handicapped and, you know and getting her back she was in a wheelchair when I met her and now she can walk with a walker so I did everything I could do so because I didn't want her to suffer no more being in a wheelchair to where we can get her to that point so I need somebody who's stronger than me in that aspect. Yeah, wow. To deal with this. 
Now, do you have any, like, any family support? No. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> no. And I try to speculate on what it is. I think everybody just... It's such a horrible sight and thing when you do your research. I'm speculating that people just don't... They don't understand how they can help or it's too frightening for them or I mean it's it's kind of especially with you having a one year old who is with you I mean it's I'm like okay so for me where I lived it's it's only just me and and my four kids as far as like immediate family um pretty much all of my immediate family uh like parents my grandparents aunts or whatever they all live out of state like I, I moved where I'm at a couple you know a few years back so the only support that I had at the time you know uh, was my ex-husband so it was just us even though his family is in the same place that we are um, but they still weren't that much helpful when things were going on with us and you know we had the kids so you know there was there was a once or twice i had to have a procedure done here um he needed extra support his family shuttled down um his uh he had several procedures um due to military military connected injuries um i had i just you know had to do everything one thing that that i've learned is I think it's it's just the if you avoid it, you know. I think if other people avoid it, even if it's family, then they don't have to acknowledge it. But the simplest thing, just like taking taking your son for a couple of hours, that's that's supportive. And I don't think a lot of people recognize that sometimes it's just those moments. But then it also depends on how much you trust your family too. Cause you know, we, we know as adults, we know the family like, uh, yeah, this one I can trust this one. I cannot trust. (laughs) So, you know, those, those are also factors that we have to put into as well. Um, and I know for us, go ahead. We just, we just grew up way different. You know, my family, I, I, I sometimes feel like, my family is the most unique one in the world because we don't have any connection or closeness or sense of family or come together on the holidays or say happy birthday. Zero. Really? And I really. And I don't and I know it's because of how my mom and aunts and grandmother came up in horrible conditions. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have, you know, uncles, or uncles are all gone, dead in jail, and fathers ain't there. So mothers who grew up out of just being abused from shops from children up to abuse women with these boys and don't know how to do it. Um, there was no, that no one taught them, like this is how you do family, come yeah. together. And yeah, everything I have to learn how to do. Iron a shirt, 
wash dishes. I didn't learn any of that till I was grown because it wasn't taught to me. Wow. That's so, wow. And I thought my ex-husband had, <laughs> I thought his, his siblings were a little off. Because, you know, when, when you meet people and if they're willing to talk about their family dynamic, it's, it's interesting how everybody has a different story. There may be some similarities with some of us, but then there, then you got to find out there's sometimes major contrast and you're like, wow. So, you know, hearing your experience is like really wow because I'm like, nobody's there that's that's disappointing that is one of my brothers one of my brothers has accused our mother of killing his real mom and kidnapping him (laughs) and he needs dna to prove so we don't talk to him (laughs) wow now is he is he older or younger than you now he's younger than me i'm the oldest the seed certain seeds get planted very early on so if you you know as an adult if you're telling a child or a teenager and you're programming them to you know have that mindset that carries on that that can carry on to leave a very very bad impression for years to come um it carried on because we have a huge family and nobody talks to each other situations to where I didn't know what I was missing until I started talking to other people or looking at other people in their families. You know what I mean? I grew up like this. It wasn't until I saw how other people were with their moms or other people. It wasn't until what was it, two years ago. Maybe my son was about to be born. She was pregnant with him, but I was at a friend's house, a friend of mine from high school. Mm-hmm. We went there for a, a game day or something like that. And all my, not all of them, but you know, a bunch of my friends from high school, dads were there. They had their sons there. It was the first time I seen like 13, 14 year old kids' sons like hanging out with their dad, but leaning on their dad, watching TV with their head on their dad's shoulder sitting there hugged up like it was the first time that I even knew that something like that can exist can exist so then when my son was born I was able to open up a whole new way of loving him and bringing him up the way I never was like it was okay for you to 
be affectionate. It's okay for you to, to, to love your son in that way and not feel weird. Like, oh, is he going to be gay or something? Like, something stupid and weird like that. Like, <laughs> right. no. Right. He's going to be a, he gonna be a uh, pussy because he's he leaning on your well, You ain't supposed to. I saw the majority of my friends with their sons lovingly and it changed the way it just opened up to where I didn't have I, I just think I, if I hadn't seen that I wouldn't have known that we can be like that to our, our, ourselves mm-hmm. and I'm so thankful for that yes and I think now because we have I think now because what what our generation is doing, and I love our generation, it's the greatest. <laughs> I think what we're doing, um, especially especially in the in the black community, anyway, we're trying to break those generational curses, and by doing so, it's digging into our traumas, like what happened, you know. The way some of us grew up was, you know, really wrong. The kids today would not have survived it. Um, We have more knowledge and resources in order to parent better. Um, What I had the tendency of doing is I took the good parts of how I've grown up and I've applied it with my kids. And then the bad things I completely left out. So... There was a lot of abuse for me. Um, And, uh, you know, I was, um, I was sexually assaulted before a lot of, a lot of different times. Um, I never told anybody about it until I became an adult. Um, Because that was one of those things. And, you know, it's not one of those things where people openly talked about it, you know, back then because of the whole, well, if you tell either you're not, you know, they're not going to believe you or if they do believe you is yeah. Okay. We were just going to push this under the rug, you know, cause we don't want to expose, but you know, we can't have the other kids around. So, you know, um, and then not just the sexual assault for me, but it was also the physical abuse. I mean, it was, um, by me being as light as I am, (laughs) Mm -hmm. any mark, I mean, any mark would show up on me immediately. So then it didn't really take much, but those experiences and not having a stable home were my drive, were some of the driving forces where I, I knew I had to change some things up. And the older I've gotten, some things has changed with me with my health and I have to be extra careful myself. So that's like, um, which I had just found out not too long ago, the, um, which I know everybody's familiar with tinnitus. If you're not, that's like when you have a constant ringing in your ear and I've had constant ringing in my left ear after I think it was in 2014, I had got really sick and they put me on prednisone. I didn't know I was oh. a, I didn't know I was allergic oh. to prednisone. Oh no, that that is not nobody's friend. Right. Go ahead. Right. So I took the prednisone, and then I had 
extreme AFib, you know, uh, flutters in your heart. It made me almost go into a panic attack. Eventually I started losing my hair and then that's when I noticed I had this ringing in my ear that just wouldn't go anywhere. So I've had this ringing in my left ear for a minute, for, for a few years now. I never really told anybody about this. So this, this is the first time this is coming up. And I know people will be like, what, are you serious? But as time goes on, it gets worse and worse and worse. So it's, it's now causing a high frequency hearing loss for me. Um, I have to go and see an audiologist next week and, um, she's going to, you know, test to see if the, if the levels have changed, if it's gotten worse, which I think it has. And, um, I know she, she told me that there's really nothing that they can, they, you know, they can do except for possibly if they gave me a hearing aid. It would just be like a hearing aid to do like a distraction. So I wouldn't have that in my head <laughs> all the time because wow. sometimes, yeah. So sometimes if I'm laying down and it's really quiet, it's so annoying. And I had, I'll find myself falling asleep with no problem. And then I'll just wake up four or five hours later and it's just driving me crazy. So yeah, it's, it's. Is something I don't know how I got onto there, but the, <laughs> but having yeah, but having certain certain ailments have you know that that takes place as we get older, and then we're having you know we have kids or grandkids. You're like, what's really going on? And not to have any support is hard. Yeah, from both sides. As far as it, you know, my mom's side and my dad's side. Uh, the last time I saw my dad, uh, when I was little, I was too young, like a few months old, so I didn't remember that. I didn't see him again until I was 40. Wow. So, everybody over there on that side, you just don't have that connection. You know what I mean? And my brother on, on that side, he tries, but still, you know, it's, it's a 40 year, you know, it's just not. And uh, periodically say, hey, when are you coming out of here? When are you coming out of here? But, yeah. on, you know, his wife and the reason of why he wasn't there in the first place is the big debacle. So, uh, that may never get fixed and on my mother's side it's just you know growing up like you know like you were explaining like just childhood trauma which they couldn't get over Mm -hmm. and I'm just lucky enough that I can understand to where I don't blame them as much as like my other brothers do yeah cause it's I mean there's really no there's no point in holding grudges, you know, like if the things had happened, yes, they're not right. Maybe, you know, you, you want closure or something or explanation, or if the explanation was explained and it still wasn't good enough, it's complex for, for different people. So I, I, I get that part, but it is holding on to 
you know, the disappointment, the anger, the resentment, that's not going to get anybody anywhere just to hold on to it. You know, that's also draining to your body too, to, to clutch on to that. Well, here's the thing I want to say about that. I think a lot of times people don't actively try to hold on to certain things like that, but because of the residual effect of what happened to them or what people have done or the environment that created their personality or their ailments, you know, uh, uh, psychologically or emotionally, mentally, physically, whatever it is, is when that residue is there and you don't want it, you feel horrible that you feel in that and you just attack where you think that residue came from mm-hmm. or you blame or you think that you know and then of course nobody wants to hear how they hurt somebody like nobody wants to hear like you hurt me or you did this to me you know what I mean even though you have opportunity to apologize or whatever you still don't want to hear how you hurt somebody else right so of course when you start talking about it people are like are you, why are you bringing a rose number let it go and we have you know you I think people forget that the people who are suffering from that, they if they can let that go, they would. Yeah. Just that when they feel that awful, uncomfortable feeling, or if they have to look in the mirror, or if, you know, if they're suffering from whatever that residue is, there's really no such thing as, you know, you gotta let it go unless the person affected you in that way is able, strong enough and willing to come and try to help you deal with that. The problem is most of the people who do that are never willing to to take responsibility and help in in that way. Yeah, and to be accountable. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. You're definitely right. So, genetic testing have I done genetic testing? Yeah, for the um, for TN and Crohn's, because I know that I know Crohn's can definitely be hereditary. Uh, I, I have a couple uh, friends that you know they they you know got that the the certain recessive. Oh, that. Really? That's the sound of tuning over toys. I didn't know we could. <laughs> It could be hereditary like that, as far as you know what I mean. I so mm-hmm. I, I, I never even thought about it or even worry about it. Either one of my ailments. Um, I think maybe maybe I'm lying. I think maybe yeah, since he, he could be more susceptible to getting charged mm-hmm. with because of me, mm-hmm. so I worry about that. Um, so yeah. I think maybe I think maybe all ailments that we, we can pass along to our children, and they just have a percentage, a higher percentage of getting it than the next person would if you're passing along that uh, those chemicals through your DNA. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, and it's like uh, once again, just to kind of bring up why why it's important for you know our community anyway for the black community. Um, to stay up on our health, you know, um, a lot more than 
our parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, we we have to definitely stay up on, on our health as much as we can, especially when you're dealing with pain. Um, because medically, and you know, there, there was this theory for like decades ago that, you know, black people didn't really have a pain threshold. So still, it, that, so it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So that's still. They still at this day believe that. Yes, they do. And I had, I, I told one of my, one of my aunts, which was funny. We were having a conversation about it. Uh, she said she went to the doctor and she was, you know, explaining to him that she had something going on with their, with her feet. And she said, it's not pain. It's just a weird feeling in my feet. And she said, it's not numbness. It's just a weird feeling in my feet. And she said, every time I tried to tell the doctor that, you know, they, you know, they, they didn't know what to do. And I said, we know our bodies more than, than any, anybody, you know, but it's, it's a shame when, uh, medically for decades, centuries, the whole nine, we, you know, have been looked as, I hate to say it as subhuman and, you know, and the, the disregard and the lack of attention. And I've seen it, my own personal experience before we go, um, is when I was pregnant with my youngest daughter, she'll be 14 this year. Um, it was probably three and a half weeks before I was scheduled, I had to have a um, scheduled C-section with her. And I remember I kept having this pain where my diaphragm was at. I, I, I went to the doctor and said, something just don't feel right. At this point, I'm eight months pregnant. And my um, old OBGYN at the time when, when we lived in Georgia, I was a white woman, nice lady. Gave her, you know, I gave her mad props. You know, she did, she did good except for when I was telling her about my pain. And she said, you know, oh, well, you know, your body's changing and it could just be indigestion. I said, no, I've had three other pregnancies. This doesn't feel right. Lo and behold, um, went to, I went to the, uh, to the doctors that morning or went to the hospital that morning so they can go ahead and do the C-section. And I remember as I was getting prepped, that pain was worse when I laid on my back and I said, I can't, you know, I'm having a hard time breathing. So they still did the whole thing, you know, gave me the epidural and the whole nine. So I can be completely numb. And while I'm on the table, um, I guess the nurse that was, that was standing right by me, I kept feeling myself want to go to sleep. And he said, don't go to sleep. He said, you got to stay awake. And I said, this is hard for me to stay awake. I stayed awake. I had to push through, you know, like we were saying. But after I came out of the um, operating room and they got me back to my room, another nurse started pressing down really hard on my stomach. And she got really close to where the pain was in my diaphragm. And I grabbed her wrist so hard. And I said, don't do that. That hurts. And she said, well, I'm trying to press the air out and, you know, make sure the placenta. I said, you don't understand. That hurts. What she had done was my gallbladder was about to rupture. And I already had gallstones. What she had done 
was she caused a few of the gallstones that were already built up in my gallbladder that I no longer have. She caused a few of them to get pushed through my bowel duct. And I didn't feel anything for a while. I didn't even know it until it was like maybe a week or two after the, um, after the C-section. I got up, I tried to get up out of bed and I couldn't stand straight up. I couldn't breathe. Anything that I, that I tried to eat um, or drink, it came right back up. My blood pressure, when I went to the, I went to the emergency room, and I'll never forget this, my ex-husband dropped me off, and I'm walking in there hunched over. And I get there, and I, and I tell them, I said, I think I'm dying. And they're like, no, it's not that, you know, they were like, okay, let's get you triage and everything. My blood pressure was 200 over 125. That's horrible. The top number, the top number is never, ever supposed to be in the 200s (laughs) ever. Um, yeah, yeah. And depending, depending on, you know, depending on the person, your, body mass index and everything like that there's like a certain range you can have you know and then male and female um but for me that was way too high um i remember they they got me in a room but the pain hit me so bad and um i told him i said just put me to sleep or something because i couldn't deal with it anymore and i remember laying there i said god please don't take me from my kids you know because there's a whole newborn at home my ex-husband is very good with kids, but he would have lost his marbles really if something happened to me. So once they did the ultrasound and they found out what was going on, yeah, I was rushed right into surgery. Um, yeah, and I remember the very it was two days because they kept me in the hospital for a couple of days. My OBGYN, same doctor that told me, "Oh, your body's just changing." She happened to be doing rounds for un for something unrelated. And she said she came across the nurse's station and she saw my name. So she went into the room. I was asleep. But, you know, sometimes you can feel when there's a presence or somebody standing over you. And I just happened to wake up and she's just standing there. And she had literal tears in her eyes. And I was like, oh, hey, Dr. Bartell, how are you? And she said, I'm so sorry. I said, what are you sorry for? I'm still kind of groggy. I said, well, what are you sorry for? All right, what the hell? Yeah, and she, she said... I should have listened to you. If I would have listened, if if I would have listened to you and and not disregarded what she openly admitted it. She said, "If I would not have disregarded what you said, you would not be here right now." Wow. Yeah. So, it's very important for us as black people. And if there's any any other people of color listening, I'm not trying to x you out of the out of the equation, but. You know, yeah, they know. And and we're literally at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes down to our health. And and um, when we advocate for ourselves, it, it sometimes it's like when you go to these doctor's appointments or medical facilities and you're trying to advocate for yourself. And I've heard it because I've heard plenty of medical staff say this. They're like, oh, here he comes again. Here she come again. They just want drugs. I'm like, no, that's that's not cool. If this isn't working, order another test. If that's not working, try to figure something out. But they are so quick to, a lot of them are so quick, because I don't want to say all, 
but a lot of people in medical professions dismiss black people i hate to say it but they do um so yeah that's just my experience with that <laughs> well i when i had my neurologist and for the neurology, i wasn't diagnosed with Crohn's yet and the neurologist uh yeah so so he was kind of like uh I don't know what to say. Like he didn't believe like I was going through the pain I was going through. As far as trying to try to around, he was like, "That's not what it is. It's just this. It's just that." Until you know, MRIs and tests came back. Now, as I'm going through this with him, I'm letting him know like I got this pain in my stomach and I gotta like I'm going to see the GI doctor. And he was just like, "Ah, it's nothing." And said so they said, and I told him I said they think I might have Crohn's, and he was like, "You don't have Crohn's." Like everything I'm saying, he's like, no, you know, without. And then I was happy to go back and show him the results. Not happy that I had Crohn's, but <laughs> right. happy to go back and be like, look, dude, like you can't be telling people what they don't have just because you're looking at them or just because of who we are. Mm-hmm. I have Crohn's, and look at the top there. It says severe Crohn's. If I would have listened to you, I wouldn't have kept going to go upstairs to the GI doctor. Right. Yes, be adamant about your health care because they do think that we don't feel pain the same way everybody else does or we have a higher tolerance for whatever reason and they think we all want drugs uh, I never knew what uh, uh, narco was until I read my report and one of the people was saying I was asking for narco and I ain't never asked for that they mm. just assume it wow that's yeah that's terrible so one thing that um one thing that i always always try to um suggest for for other people you know for people of color make sure you have a healthcare provider who can basically represent you because we already know what we're up against and you know not to say that you know another doctor from another nationality cultural background or whatever you know not to say that you know they're not good at what they do but it's you have a different healthcare experience when your providers you know mirror you because you can have dialogue with a provider who looks like you who has your background that's not being racist that's not being yeah. prejudiced. It's, it's crazy that you have to say that because, you know, the culture that we live in right now, everything is, oh, oh, she said this and he said that. No, it's having like the whole purpose of this is to, you know, give awareness, but to also have dialogue and to just to put this stuff out here to have, you know, good conversation, even a debate. But it's, it's always good to have somebody um, who represents you. I mean, because the the other people have no problem at all saying they don't want black, brown, yellow, whatever. So, but when we say we want black, brown, yellow, whatever, then it's, oh, that's reverse racism. No, it's not. <laughs> it's really not. 
and and don't have any issue or problem with asking for a new doctor. You don't have to stay with your doctor. You can always switch doctors. Right. I've switched. And I had to switch. Here's the messed up thing. I had to switch from a doctor and after he was African. And I assumed that, okay, it was going to be okay and all right with this one. And his thing was, is he really didn't care. So I had to switch and I got an Indian doctor who broke, who went above and beyond to do what he can to work with me and let me know that I'm not here to do anything but help you heal yourself. Mm-hmm. And a doctor that's coming at you with that mentality, not no God-like mentality, and not like a mentality of like they're overworking, don't care. If they're not saying anything conducive to help me help you, mm-hmm. then you gotta keep keep searching because the thing is, the Indian doctor went um, above and beyond. The African doctor didn't care. Mm-hmm. But but typically, what we have to watch out for, and it just happens, the white doctor is the one who thought I wasn't suffering as much as I was. Right. And that happens a lot. And like I said, being where, where I work, I've seen so much and some of the some of the people who came in you know they're like I need to switch doctors and some you know openly say I want a black doctor or the or you know the, <laughs> a lot of a lot of the the, the uh, others I mean it was to a point where I want an American doctor with an American name I'm like yeah I, I know what you're saying <laughs> like where's this person come from and oh that name sounds muslim oh that that name uh, it sounds you know i i mean it's crazy the stuff that that i hear and see on a daily basis is nuts and i'm like you are just okay with that you know oh i didn't like the way that this person sounds well that sounds that sounds like a that sounds like a black name i don't i don't want that i'm like and y'all are really doing this this is 20 now it's 2023 i said you all are still doing this well if anybody who's listening is confused about it and you're going into the hospital and you're particularly someone who grew up with a bias and inadvertently have that bias whether you're working on it or not but if you go into the hospital you don't want a black doctor to work with whatever reason just remember it was a time there was surgeons brilliant surgeons that were black they were saving lives there were white people who would show up to the hospital needing heart surgery and didn't want a black doctor to work on them and they died mm-hmm. very true and sometimes you know, and you can find and you can find a white doctor who's like excellent and who actually goes above and beyond. I'm not I'm not knocking any of them because I I had plenty who were really good. But um it, it took a while to find that provider who could actually do something for you. That's like also with therapy. I can go to a therapist, but I would rather go to a therapist who who can tell me something that, you know, I can relate to. As far as my health care, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm picky. You know, we, we all have to be picky with that. So really, it's 
choose your provider that's going to meet your needs. If you're comfortable with your healthcare provider, no matter what color, ethnicity, or whatever, and they are giving you the utmost, keep your people. But if it gets to a point where you know you have a provider who um, who basically dismisses you and you know that they're dismissing you and they're not listening, like you said earlier, you can always change your doctor. And it doesn't matter the background. The only reason why I kind of advocate for uh, for people of color, rather, and, and it's for Hispanic, because there's, there's some good Hispanic providers I, I ran across too. Um, as, as, yeah, as far as being with a provider that match you is because sometimes you can have the most hardest conversations and be like, look, you know where we come from. You know where this is. I'm telling you, if I'm looking at it from, and if I was a medical provider and I'm working with other medical professionals and I can see with the dialogue and how dismissive some of them are clinically, then I have to take that thorn out and go ahead and do what I got to do that I know is right. And I got to go against them and against her against, you know, and, and, and root for my, you know, not really root for, but just stand my ground for my people. But like I said, it, it all depends on the person. So, before we go, I would like for you to end with, if anyone wants to follow you on TikTok, because that's how we became acquainted, where they can find you on TikTok, if you have another social media platform um, of yours that you want to promote. And I saw two little features that you were in, so if you want to promote those, that would be great to do so. Okay. Uh, yeah. TikTok, I believe it's just Cook Wayne. Cook Wayne. C-O-O-K-W-A-Y-N-E. Cook Wayne. Um, Instagram, I believe it's the same thing. Just Cook Wayne. Uh, Twitter, maybe Cook Wayne 1. Cook Wayne in the number 1. Uh, Facebook is Cook Wayne. I don't know why. You can tell me just give you all of them <laughs> but pretty much cook wayne uh yeah if you go on the um instagram profile if you the the, the link is in the profile for the uh, one of the movies and then i think you can follow a link from somewhere on tiktok or one of the ones that i, I just the recent one that did a cameo in but between um tiktok and uh Instagram, you'll be able to make to see something. And I just gotta tell you that the cameo you did, <laughs> I've watched, <laughs> I've watched that about four times. <laughs> I said he was like, "Oh, you got to get out of my car." <laughs> I said I've never <laughs> you just dumped that poor boy out the car <laughs> that was so funny he was having a bad day okay okay so it, 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 yeah they put the promo I was kind of like not upset but I was kind of like this morning, like for this one a really good one I had such a small part um, but on, the, on one of their websites another website put their promo up and 
they use my scene as a promo and every all the feedback I'm getting from just that scene is a one minute scene but it's good so I'm uh, I like it I'm proud of it whatever I can make an impact only in a minute that's nice absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. And some and sometimes you only need that one minute to make the lasting impression. So you really you really did it. You came through on that one. Like I said, I I watched that about it was the first time because of what? Was it because I, you wanted to see him getting thrown or me looking in the rear view mirror? Yeah, that that was the first one. It was like you were looking at him in the mirror, like, okay. And you're like, hey. <laughs> Watch yourself. Yeah, yeah, be like, watch your mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, okay, this is about to be funny. I knew it was going to be funny before any, before you even was like, nah, that pull over. <laughs> so it, I said that that right there would make me want to watch the movie. That that, that scene right there would make me want to watch the whole thing. So like I said, no, sometimes show- sometimes that one minute is all you need. The short film she's talking about is a short film that is out now on a uh, website called Short of the Week, but it's also on Vimeo and it's also on YouTube. And uh, it's called Pussy Baby, uh, and it's about a young man who um, gets set up in a, in a secret hit uh, camera show or something like that. Anyway, without going too much, he is exposed as being a weakling and. Pretty much that's where the name comes from, Pussy Baby, because he's a uh, kind of like a punk pussy kind of dude. Um, so that's the that's the film she's talking about. Go go check that out. And as you can see on there, I'm driving in that car, and I don't know how many people actually do this when they're filming, but I was really driving the car. So I had to look back at the camera and hope that I didn't run over somebody you know, I'm actually wheeling that thing around as I'm trying to remember lines, do lines, and do camera shots, look in the rear view. So it was interesting. It was fun. And in closing, peoples, that is what you call pushing through. He has two ailments, debilitating, yet he takes care of his one-year-old, He's out here making appearances, cameos, you know, he's he's active, you know, he's being an activist. He's doing so much. So anytime anyone, and I'm saying include myself, well, I always try to push through too. Um, anytime anyone says anything about I can't do it or this is too hard, think about my dear friend on this platform today. Who is constantly pushing through? And if I can say real quick, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. To give some more insight on that, and if that is not enough, because we already talked about those two. I have two herniated, two bulging discs in my back. Both knees, the meniscus are torn on my right arm. My my uh, bicep is ruptured. The long tendon is snapped. So pushing through ain't the half of it. So. I'm saying this to say, like, pain is a part of life. We don't got to take, we don't got to take ourselves out. We don't have to mentally and emotionally suffer as much as we think we do from suffering like that. So that's why I mentioned that. If you need any inspiration or any questions, you 
go to my page or figure out how to get in contact with me. And I'm going to do my best to, to help us both, or whomever, figure out how we can just maintain, push through, push through. And that is the theme of the week, push through. That's right. Well, hon, I appreciate your hour and some change that you have given me. This has been great. And 2023 is not going to be like any other year. Everybody says that. (laughs) But, you know, this we're going to make this the best year ever. Yes, we are. And... I'm giving you four dozen of flowers because I want you to I want you to keep pushing and keep moving. I'm very inspired by you. I'm very proud of you, and I and I just keep hoping for the best for you. That's right. I appreciate you. That's all I need is a little bit of recognition, a little bit of uh, push, the people around it. That's that's how we do it too. I appreciate y'all. I appreciate you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay.